As we know, it is Father's Day, right? And uh, as I was preparing for the message this week, we're going to be back in the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah 62 today. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Isaiah 62, that's where we're going to be. Uh, but as I was looking at the passage in Isaiah 62, uh, I came across a verse uh, there in Isaiah 62, and the phrase says, And you shall be called by a new name. And uh, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about Father's Day and how, uh, for me, many of you guys know that uh, my wife and I are fixing to walk into a new season of being parents. And so I'm fixing, I guess technically, I have the title of father. I mean, we just had this discussion literally right before the service. So yes, I'm a father, okay? It's crazy to think about, right? Um, because, you know, for me, growing up, I always wanted to be a father. I always knew I wanted to be a dad, right? But that was always something off in the distant future. Never know when that would happen. And now it's like right here, literally just a few weeks away. So I'm kind of freaking out on the inside a little bit, just saying. But I'm excited. Uh, but the more I thought about it, it just kind of made me think about how crazy life can be and how throughout life, our titles and our names change, right? Uh, for example, uh, when I was first born, I was just called a son, right? I was my dad's firstborn son, the only son. And so that was a pretty significant name for me, right? I was my dad's son. Okay, I'm the, the, the one who bears the name Shell. Okay, that's a lot of pressure if you guys didn't know that. Um, and so and then eventually, years down the road, thankfully, uh, I, got, I went from the name of son to the title of boyfriend. Ooh, when I started dating my wife, right? Finally got that title. I was looking for it all my life. It took 27 years. Amen. Okay. So, uh, so I got the title boyfriend, right? And then soon after that, I became a fiance. Mm-hmm. That's right. And then very soon after that, I became a husband. And not only a husband, but a son-in-law. So, I, I mean, I become a son again, right? So, we see that as you progress in life, we all experience this. And if you're young, you will. Okay. Just hold tight. Uh, we get these new titles, and these new names. Well, I say, I share this just to show you that as we walk through this life, we, we inherit these different titles and these different names. And we begin to like take identity in them. But the reality is, is that there's only one name that we should really be worrying about. One name that we need to truly find our identity in. And that's exactly where we're gonna be looking at today in Isaiah 62. And what it means for us to have this new name that represents the only thing in this life that's worthy of our identity and worthy of our praise and adoration. And that's the name of Jesus. Okay. So our main point today is that is this. Our new name should proclaim the glorious zeal of the Lord in the coming salvation of his church. Now you guys are probably thinking, Josh, what in the world did you just say? We'll walk through this. Okay. So don't worry about it. So the main thing though is this. The main question I want to ask you is this, is does your name when you, if I were to ask you to stop right now and think about if, if you knew what other people identified you as, that one particular name, what name would that be, right? Some of you are like, well, I don't even want to think about that. That's kind of a dangerous question because I don't know what people think about me, you know, and now you are going to be thinking this whole time, like uh, worry Nancy's out there, like, oh man, what does this person think of me? You know, what's that name? But does your name proclaim the zeal of the Lord? When someone looks at you and they say, man, when I look at Josh, 
this is who I see. I see a man who is fearfully and wonderfully made, seeking to pursue the Lord all the days of his life to proclaim his glorious name. Or they're looking at me like, oh, that's just Josh. You know, eh, he skateboarded one time. He told me a story about his camp name. That's pretty cool, right? No, because when we put on the new name of Christ, we are to be uh, proclaiming his glorious name for all to see. We should have this newness in us that should erupt a passion to display his name. Okay, so let's read this together in Isaiah 62. If you guys would like to stand with me, that'd be great as we honor God's word. We're gonna read just through the first five verses. So it says this, it says, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her. And your land married. For the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. You guys can be seated. Thank you. So again, as I was thinking about this question, does your name proclaim the zeal of the Lord? Our name needs to be putting on the attributes and the characteristic of what we see here in this passage. Because what we're seeing here is Isaiah is proclaiming this message to the nation of, of Israel, God's people, right? The nation of Judah. But what we're really seeing here is that it's not Isaiah who's truly speaking, but who? Jesus, the chosen servant. And we see this back in a, in a few passages that we'll see here in just a second. But right away, what we see here from the Lord is that the Lord's zeal, whoa. That was awesome. Is relentless. Yeah, don't get loud again. All right. The Lord's zeal is relentless. That's the first point. That's exactly what we see here in verse one. It says, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. Right away, we see the relentless nature and pursuit of the Lord, his zeal for God's chosen people, Jesus. That's exactly what we see here. Um, and for when he says, I will not keep silent and I will not keep quiet, these are words of action. Jesus isn't sitting back saying, oh yeah, those are God's people. I love them. I would desire for them to display God's glory but I'm just going to sit back and see what they do. No, what does he say here? I will not keep silent. I will not keep quiet until, right? These are words of action and resiliency. And this is an action with an intended result. And that is ultimately the righteousness and salvation of God's people. And again, this is the purpose that we see of Jesus, the chosen servant in this latter half of the book of Isaiah. If you go back with me to Isaiah 42 verses one and also verse seven, it says this of the chosen servant. It says, behold, my servant who I'm, uh, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. 
And also in Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3, this is the passage in which Victor preached on last. It says this, says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So this is the chosen servant speaking here. And he says, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and to in the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. It goes on, it says, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This is who Jesus is. This is who the chosen servant is. He is coming relentlessly to pursue us so that he can bring sight to the blind. So he can redeem the captives of those who are bound in prison. And it goes on. And so this is the, this is the purpose of Jesus as the chosen servant, to bring about restoration to God's people through his relentless, sacrificial, faithful love and obedience to the Father. And he will do this until when? says this, her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. What I want us to see here and understand is that this is not just a one and done deal. Yes, Jesus came and he fulfilled uh, the, the promise of being the spotless lamb to take away the sins of the world, but this is a process. This isn't, one just, this isn't him just dying and resurrecting and being in eternal glory. This is him until the day that he returns, bringing relentless, pursuing love to us. This is a process. This is called the process of sanctification and glorification here, people. For the last 2,000 plus years, the gospel of Jesus has still been intervening on the lives of people. If it wasn't for the gospel of Jesus, I would not be here. You would not be here. You would not have a right relationship with him. So until this is a process that Jesus will continue, he will not keep silent, he will not be quiet until the righteousness goes forth as brightness and the salvation as a burning torch. He's talking about until he returns and he establishes his eternal kingdom. You see, just as the spirit of Jesus is relentlessly pursuing the, the coming righteousness and salvation of his people, we should have the same desire and passions erupting in our hearts. Erupting in our hearts. Our spirit should not be satisfied in this world until the righteousness and salvation of God's people has come forth to all the nations. Not just to your household, not just to this church, not just to Columbus or Texas. I mean, Texas is big, but to the, to the entire world, to all the nations. And what we see here is that what we see, we see this message from the chosen servant here, but if you flip ahead to the New Testament, we see this area, the very same words of Jesus in Matthew 5 as he's given the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of my favorite passages of all time. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. It says this, it says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good words or good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Guys, these are action words. 
He is correcting the heart of men here saying, hey, it's much more than just lighting a lamp and putting it under a bowl. That's not even his purpose. The purpose is for the light to go and shine forth to all the sea. Just like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. So again, just as we see the relentless zeal and passion of Jesus in this passage, so should we be pursuing one another into righteousness and into salvation. So that, y'all ready for this? So that we can ultimately become his radiant glory. If we are putting on the name of Jesus, we must become his radiant glory. That's the only proper result. Which leads me to the next point, number two. The Lord's zeal displays his glory. And we see that here in verses two and three. In verse two, it says that the nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. So as a result of having this same relentless passion of Jesus to pursue righteousness and salvation, we now become a beacon of light. We now become that city on a hill, that lamp or that light on a post for all to see. We become this beacon for those around us and we ultimately become a precious possession in the presence of God. And here in verse two, as a result of us becoming this beacon, we see the results of that. It says that the nation shall see your righteousness in all the kings, your glory. And as a result, it brings about an increased desire for all those around us to come and see, to come and see what we are so passionate about, to what we are so excited about. That is the eternal radiant King Jesus. We become these beacons so that way it, it, it just catches their eye and they see it and they're like, man, I don't know what they got, but I want it. And it attracts them. It's like one of those little blue lights for the mosquitoes. You know, it's like a bug's life. Don't look at the light. I can't help it. Okay, sorry. Um, but it should be our pleasure and our honor to be a part of this process. Time and time again, we get so scared and so nervous about becoming this radiant glory. We, we get so scared about this idea of like, hey, uh, do you know Jesus? Right? Guys, we should not be hesitant about it. We should be bold in proclaiming it because of the transformative work that Christ did in us. And you got to think too, for the nation of Israel at this time, these words were powerful. Because you got to remember, these, these guys were walking in great wickedness. They were walking in an idolatrous way. They were literally separated from God is what we're going to see here. But now they're hearing these words from Isaiah of the chosen servant speaking through him, saying that you shall, that the nation shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the Lord will give you. What a humbling moment. You can almost see the excitement in them like, yeah, we get a new name. But then they're like quickly humbled by like, oh, this is a name that I do not deserve. At least I hope so. And I hope that this is the same posture and the same attitude that we take in this. 
that we recognize like, yes, this is a glorious day that we get to receive a new name and our identity is changed. Our character is changed because of the righteousness of Christ. But man, I don't deserve it. And as great as this is, it doesn't stop just there. They don't just receive a new name. We don't receive just a new name, but rather we also get to put on the attributes of God that, dis- that are on display for all to see. I mean, just look at what it says there in verse three. It says, you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. It's not just a matter of an internal identity change, but rather it's a whole physical change here, people. When you put on Christ, when you receive the imputed name of Christ, it not only changes your heart, but it should change your entire character. So not only do they receive a new name, but they become the beauty of God through the zeal of Jesus for all to see. This is a complete transformation and one that holds true for you and I today. And if this doesn't, again, if this doesn't cause your spirit to erupt with humble adoration to the Father, I don't know what will. So just just so we're on the same page here, okay? So as a result of, of the zeal of the chosen servant Jesus and his relentless pursuit of what we see there in verse one, we now receive a new name in verse two, and we ultimately display his glory for all to see there in verse three. But what I want us to, I don't want us to miss is this, this is the most significant thing about this, is that these things together culminate in the next point, that the Lord's zeal restores our identity. Our identity. And we see this play out in verse four, where it says this, you shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her. Israel, what we see here, goes from a nation that is forsaken and desolate due to their idolatrous and wicked ways to a nation that God now can find his delight in. This is a complete, again, a complete transformation of identity and character for the people. They literally go from worshiping idols and doing these obscene things in the eyes of God to, uh, to where they receive this name forsaken and desolate to now God is able to find delight in them because of the chosen servant, the finished work of Jesus. So just to kind of put this in perspective here, the names uh, forsaken and desolate are this. So in the Hebrew word, forsaken is azuba, meaning to depart from, to leave, to desert, to abandon, to completely back off. So God's hand has been completely taken off his people. Okay, and the other word desolate is this, it's shamama. Uh, say that five times fast, right? Yeah, which means devastation or waste. So we're getting this picture here of complete ruin and complete abandonment from God towards his people. But because of the chosen servant and because of God's rich mercy and great love for his people, He reveals to them the way that they can now be restored, and that is through his servant and his character. Their identity is restored. So they go from being called Azuba and Shamama, they go from those two words, from being called forsaken and desolate, to the word Hebziba. It means this, my delight is in her. My delight is in her. So it goes from forsaken and desolate, being completely abandoned and withdrawn to my delight is in her. My being is in her. I want to spend time with her. She is my possession. 
What a beautiful picture of restoration here. A complete sense of transformation of character and purpose in this new name, this new name that we can now receive because of the finished work of Christ. We can all receive this new name. And by God's goodness and mercy, many of us in this room already have received this new name. I can confidently stand before you right now saying that I have received this name because of the finished work of Christ on the cross and his, his death, burial, and resurrection. I can confidently stand before you today and say, I am his son. However, some of you in here can't do that. You can't confidently say that. Or some of y'all are just choosing to reject it. And that's a scary, scary place to be. Forsaken and desolate. But again, praise God, he has a plan to bring about restoration for all of those who are seeking and who are wanting to find. Praise God, he has a plan to bring about restoration for all of those who are seeking and who are wanting to find. And that is through his chosen servant, but it's also through this, the church. The church. Now, I know y'all probably thinking like, hey, whoa, 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 no one comes to the Father except through the Son. I get that. But guess what? We have been imputed with the name of Christ, right? The same spirit that lives in Jesus is the same spirit that works and resides in us today. So guess what? It is through the zealous pursuit of Jesus that we as the church get to go and to display his glory. And we see this here in verse five, and it's in a very unique set of metaphors. We ultimately see how we as the church are to commit, okay? We are to commit. Y'all know what that word means? That means to follow through. That means to, uh, to actually pursue and to, uh, you know, to do it. We are to commit to evangelism and to discipleship by the spirit as we engage with each other and ultimately to the world around us. And that's what exactly, and so as we read here in verse five, it says, for as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. So just as the husband, just as a husband, the bridegroom commits and loves his wife, the bride, so shall we as the body of Christ commit ourselves to the health and the growth of the church so that we can then go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. But I don't wanna be uh, insensitive because I know that some of us in this room today, we've had really bad experiences with marriages, whether as a child or you just experienced a really bad marriage. And the, the picture of a husband and wife is very skewed. It's distorted because of the flesh, right? And, and so we have this bad taste in our mouth towards what this picture represents. But I want us to understand here that this marriage and what she's looking at is not talking about a worldly fleshly marriage. This is talking about a heavenly marriage, people. This is talking about Jesus, the true bridegroom, coming to take his wife as his own, which is the church, us. This is the image, the example in which we are to emulate. Not that of the worldly marriage, which fails because it follows the flesh, but rather the heavenly marriage between Jesus and the church in which we are supposed to follow and be an example of. 
So we must lay aside any broken picture of marriage that we may have, and we must recognize that the perfect marriage is between Jesus and the church, and that's what we're supposed to emulate as the church. And that's the only way that we as the church can be effective. And as we do this, this ultimately results in what we see there at the end of verse 5. It says that as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. So if we are pursuing each other, whether it's your physical husband or wife, or it's us pursuing each other as the church, ultimately displaying the glory and the goodness of God, the end result is that God will rejoice over us. He will look at us and say, hey, my delight is in her. Look at that, that is her name. What a beautiful picture that is. But to put it plain and simple, this is the goal for us. You ready? Just as Jesus zealously pursued and fought for his people, the bride, the church, we too are to continue in the same zeal for one another into the world. We're in ultimately driven by one goal. And what is that goal? To display the righteousness and glory of the Lord for all to see. It's not about us, people. It's never been about us and it never will be about us. It's only about God's perfect righteousness and salvation. It is all about him. And the moment we recognize that is the moment that we will begin to work together as the church and we are able to go and to display the true glory of God to the world. We are to live up to this new name as the church in which we see here. My delight is in her, Habziba. We must put aside all of our worldly names, our titles, our identity, and put on the name that has been imputed through us, in us, sorry, imputed into us through Christ. Many of us here today can testify to the redeeming work of Christ. Many of us can stand before this congregation saying with great confidence and assurance that we have been redeemed and restored by the work of Jesus and that we now have salvation through his name. But I also am very aware that there's people in this world, in this community, in this, in this room that cannot do that. They are choosing to walk as desolate and forsaken rather than as my delight is in her. And so I'm going to just give a time here in just a minute for anybody in this room who is feeling that, like they just don't know where their identity is and they don't understand their name or, or if they're called by the new name, to come and to clarify that. But as I said, we all have names and titles in this life. But my question is this, is your current name worth clinging to? Again, if I were to ask you like, hey, if, if you knew what people identified you as or what they called you, would you uh, be comfortable with that? Would you be able to cling to that? How would you feel? So is your worldly name worth clinging to or your title or whatever the case may be? Or do you want this new name, one that is worth clinging to with every single fiber and passion of our body. So let's pray. Father, we just come before you, and Lord, we are just so thankful for your word and how it, even in the Old Testament, it speaks to the truth of the New Testament and the coming promise of Christ. Now he came to fulfill it. 
and God that as a result of his coming and the result of him coming to die and to rise again, ultimately see that you're right at the right seat, Father, we now can have a new name. We can now have new identity, new restoration in you. We are no longer called forsaken or desolate, but God, we are now called. My delight is in her. And Lord, we thank you for that. And I pray that if anybody is here today and they do not know what that means and they have questions about it, that they will come and they will make it right. Um, but Lord, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. And we thank you for your truth. And ultimately, we thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.